0: Are barrels of fun. I mean, I feel like I as a person am 11 and 15 right now. This is section 422. Welcome to the section 422 podcast, episode number 72. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we will discuss the Brewers after their weekend sweep in Pittsburgh. They are now 11-15, one week before the 2020 trade deadline. We'll discuss what went wrong last week against the Twins and the Pirates, how the Brewers might be able to turn things around against the Reds, and in a rematch at home against the Pirates during the upcoming week. And we'll take a look at some possible scenarios for the upcoming trade deadline. Will, how's it going for you on this Monday?
1: You know, I feel like the last couple of times you have asked me that, I've gone on like this long monologue of how bad the Brewers have been playing. Um, and maybe that's kind of one of one in the same of how I'm feeling and how they're playing. Hopefully not, because that's probably not a great sign for somebody's mental health these days, considering how bad they're playing. But I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing okay. Um, yeah, I watched a, a rough week of Brewers baseball. Um, things are not trending too well
0: to say the least in that regard, but other than that, my life is fine. I mean, I feel like I, as a person, am 11 and 15 right now.
1: Doesn't it feel that way after you watch
0: these games? It does. It really <laughs> does. Like it. It's just been one little setback after another. I mean, you entered last week with the Brewers taking three of four from the Cubs at Wrigley. It kind of felt like, all right, maybe this group is beginning to gel Maybe momentum is finally behind this team, and they're going to start kind of getting off the blocks. They're going to get away from the 500 mark. They're going to start closing down the gap on the Cubs in the division. Flip the calendar a week, and they're five and a half games behind Chicago. They're two and a half back of the wild card, and things just don't feel right. Sunday really got away from them. I know a lot's been made of Gregory Polanco from the Pirates being bad all season prior to this weekend having a good series he's a good player good players bounce back sometimes good players are going to bounce back against you just because they're not going to play at the terrible levels they were playing at before you saw them so you can't dwell on stuff like that but i think it's frustrating to look at a decisive game in the series where josh Hader was warming up and josh Hader didn't pitch and david phelps has been great so phelps giving up what stood as the game-winning home run to polanco Again, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, look, this guy's been great for us in the eighth inning. We trust him in that spot. One in every 10 or 12 or 15 appearances, something's going to go wrong. And it just happened to be on a day where you really needed to win to not get swept in Pittsburgh. So it feels like the sky is falling, but 11 and 15 is only four below 500. And it's really not as bad as you think it is, even though it feels terrible right now.
1: Yeah. Along that same line of thought, you could say that they're not as bad as a team that just got swept as the by the Pirates, and that's probably true. But on the other side, you could say that they're probably not as good as the team that we saw take three out of four against the Cubs. And then what you wind up with is pretty much a 500 team, and that's lacking in energy. It's just not as fun to watch sometimes. And just with David Phelps, it stinks to, to see him give up that home run just because he had been so good. And it's almost as if like that back end of their bullpen, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth Devin Williams, David Phillips, Josh Hader, they were so good. I don't want to say that they were due for a bad performance, but you just cannot expect them to be excellent every single time. You can't expect perfection every single time. And so this is where those... Earlier losses where they couldn't hit at all, they couldn't score any runs. This is where it adds up a little bit because there's going to be a point where the bullpen lets them down like it has recently. And so they were kind of playing with fire, just waiting for that to happen, I felt like, because it just was sort of inevitable. The Brewers have been sort of the exception this year in a lot of ways with bullpens. You know, a lot of teams have, have really struggled to find that connection to their either their ninth inning guy or to even get them to the high leverage guys to begin with and the brewers have more or less figured that out but now they're trying to sort of score more runs and it's looking that way it's looking like they're improving there but again it's just the lack of production offensively has really come back to to hurt them because now you're putting a lot of pressure again on the pitching to be stellar and it's just i don't I don't know if they're good enough there
0: It's one of those areas that if you ask people back in March and if you ask them again during summer camp, what is your greatest area of concern with the Brewers roster? I think the rotation would have probably been at the top of everybody's list. The bullpen probably would have come in second and the offense would have been third. And now those are likely flipped. At least now the offense is the biggest concern. I think you could argue that maybe the back of the rotation is a bigger concern than the bullpen, but... Brandon Woodruff pitching with an ERA in the threes. Corbin Burns in the threes. Adrian Hauser still at 372. Brett Anderson at 371. If you start looking at what they've been able to accomplish, Freddie Peralta in the multi-inning relief role has an ERA in the threes. The, The list of starters who've struggled is actually pretty short. It's mostly just Josh Lindblom. And then, of course, a couple of rough starts from Eric Lauer. And even in the case of Lindblom... I think you see little flashes. I mean, the strikeout rate's been really good. So he's got hitters swinging and missing at some of the stuff that he's got working right now. It's just a lack of consistency from inning to inning from him. So if you have one starter struggling through five or six starts, that's really not that bad. And when you have at least three guys you really like to close out games, that's actually pretty good. And this is probably a top 10 bullpen league-wide, if not a top five one. I mean, so that's a strength for this team. So all is not completely lost, I think the question really comes down to, are you willing to trust that the rate we've seen starters uh, go out and, and turn in quality innings, and I even for quality starts every time because they don't go deep enough, are you confident that what we've seen so far from this group of starters is actually what we're going to see going forward? Yeah,
1: that's kind of what I was getting at, is that I'm not so sure. I think that Regression, right? I mean, could they regress a little bit? Sure. Um, but on the flip side of that, I think Josh Lindblom is working toward changing his numbers around pretty soon. I, I believe that. And I also will say the same thing about Hauser. I think that his strikeout rate is something to monitor. I think that could go up pretty soon as he sort of figures things out against lefties a bit more. So for every reason where I'm like, okay, maybe they, they will regress, I, I see some signs of optimism that this is. Going to continue to be a pretty solid group. Same thing with even Brandon Woodruff. I mean, we haven't seen the best of Brandon Woodruff yet. Um, He has not been able to stay deep into games really at all recently. He's shown glimpses of being dominant through the first time or two through through an order, Uh, but then that's you know later in that second time or that third time, he seems to either like lose his command on pitches or just they get the best of him. So I don't know. I, I feel like there's reason to believe that they could be pretty solid throughout the rest of the season. But when you're talking about what the preseason kind of concerns were, or even back in summer camp or spring training, whatever, I don't know. I would kind of argue that, you know, that third base situation has always been one of the top ones. When you say offense, um, it kind of goes by the specifics of the offense, because I don't think anybody was necessarily worried about, Uh, Christian Yelich, Keston Nahira, even obviously El Garcia to an extent. Um, But it was a couple of positions, like third base in particular, first base. Just didn't know what you were getting, and we're not seeing a whole lot from either of those positions. And then you combine that with the fact that now they're compromised in the outfield without Lorenzo Cain, so right field and what they're getting from it has— sort of been random, whether it's been Mark Mathias or Ryan Braun or uh, the recently designated first time in Brock Holt. You just don't know what you were going to get from that position either. So now we're talking about three or four positions where it's almost like a black hole, where it's just you're not getting anything from those spots.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that they had to make that decision on Holt. I mean, I, ordinarily, and Stearns mentioned this at least in some way in his comments about the move, you have to act with a lot less information this season than you ordinarily would have before you make a decision like that. And for Brock Holt, you know the versatility he brings to the table and the ability off the bench to enter a game, maybe be a good pinch hitter, that matters a lot more in 162 games. But when you open for a 20 or 25 game stretch and you're just not playing well and you're here on a one-year contract... The team has to quickly say, "Okay, look, if we gave him another twenty games, he, maybe he'd get out of it. But we can't afford to do that because twenty more games, and you know, we're fifteen games away from the playoffs."
1: Yeah, definitely. And they have other guys like that who fit that profile, right? And I mean, I don't want to say they're they're easily replaceable here, but you know they they have a bunch of guys who are very similar for a reason whether it's Jace Peterson or even further down the list to to somebody like Mark Mathias or uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Rodriguez is still in Appleton and he profiles as a guy who could play a bunch of positions so i mean they have options um the pro- i mean just the problems here the problems here is just like they needed to find they needed to figure out a way to get whoever was hitting the small, people, the small amount of people who were hitting, they needed to get those guys at-bats in a way that made sense. And I feel like removing Holt, Holt from the equation at least gives you more opportunities to play Luis Urias at third base alongside Orlando Arce at shortstop. And then you don't have to worry about whether Kesson here at DH is or play second or trying to get Ryan Braun in the lineup. He could still play DH um, and you could still have all four of those guys in the lineup at the same time um, without... With with getting to choose where you sacrifice the defense, because whether you have Braun in right field or Keston Hira at second base, it's it's probably not ideal. Keston Hira more to, to, a, to a greater extent at second base with just the troubles that he's had
0: recently. Yeah, we're going to continue our breakdown of what has gone wrong overall with the bats this season in just a moment. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. So, Will, I I keep hearing the term "roller coaster" when players are talking about the season thus far. And I I think there's a lot of truth to that because, as I said at the top, it kind of feels like every time they begin to get a little bit of momentum, it comes to a screeching halt, right? There's a quick drop and suddenly they're right back to where they were. And now it's a few levels below 500. So uh, the question is, you know, how, how quickly can they... Dig out of it. Fortunately, it's a big week. It's a seven-game week. They're going to get the Reds. They're going to get the Pirates. They're going to have a chance to maybe kind of push the Reds to be sellers at the trade deadline if they have a good week. And if they have a bad week, maybe they're going to be sellers themselves. So it's really kind of a pivotal stretch here uh, for the Brewers in the next two series. But I think the overall problem with this team has been the lack of of steady contributions offensively. Like, even though the pitching wasn't good last week against the Twins and the Pirates, the bats have been more bad than good for most of the season. Avi Sale Garcia has been a below-average hitter, a 92 WRC+. plus. Fortunately, he seems like he's settling in a bit at the plate now. Orlando RC has been below-average with a 90 WRC+. plus. Justin Smoke at a 78. I mean, that's a pretty big drop from what they were getting from Eric Thames on the big side of platoon at first base, Last year, Ryan Braun hasn't been himself at all. He's got a 63 WRC plus when he's been out there. Ben Gamble, playing in a larger role, has had a 56 WRC plus. I mean, these are guys that, if you had more data at that level, these guys would be optioned or DFA'd. And that's the level of performance they're getting from a lot of regulars. Eric Sogard's got a 55 WRC plus. So he's been 45% worse than a league average hitter, even though he takes great plate appearances and it racks up a high-pitch count and battles back. Like it, it, You can't be mad about the quality of his at-bats, but you can be mad about the output or lack thereof to this point. And Omar Narvaez, who started the wake-up on Sunday, had another bad defensive game behind the plate. He's lost playing time to Manny Pena in recent weeks. I mean, we're talking about six or seven guys there who are regulars in the lineup who've all been below average. And when you add that to... Christian Yelich not being Superman this season, it's easy to see how this offense continues to be basically a bottom five offense league-wide.
1: Sure. And you didn't even mention Keston Hira, who has not taken that step that we envisioned for him uh, taking this year after a great rookie season last year. So, yeah, it's just way too many problems, man. It's just The whole lineup has just been abysmal. Um, I don't people have... At least on Twitter, have sort of questioned the hidden coaches, and that's. I feel like that's sort of an easy reflex to do. And look, we're not talking about twenty-year-olds, twenty-two-year-olds, guys who are in their first year in the majors, making adjustments, trying who need that development, who need that teaching. For the most part, these these are all veteran players. I mean, these are all guys who have sort of been there, done that. Um, and you can also, you know, I mean, like we've heard like track record a lot, right? About they're going to have like a the the course is going to correct itself and, and we're going to see them more in line with their track record soon. I mean, not for nothing, but aside from just a couple of good years here and there, it's not as if we're talking about you know five or six all stars here. I mean, these are guys who, yes, they for the most part they all performed pretty well last year. I would say um, to varying levels, and some of them have had some struggles in the past. Have overcome them. Have shown glimpses. Have uh, been unlucky in some areas. Go up and down the list, but point is, is that this may not just this just may not be a very good team, <laughs> especially offensively at this point. Whether we're judging them from a 162 game season or a 60 game season, it could just be that this is not a very good team.
0: Yeah, a slightly below 500 team might be what was assembled, and that's the reality that is setting in faster than usual. There'd be so much more time to work out of it to possibly make some trades, to make some adjustments, and, and hopefully make up that ground. But you know, time's ticking very quickly. Uh, we did see one other change. Angel Perdomo was optioned back to Appleton over the weekend. JP FireEyeson in his backup. I think that's a move that you and I were almost expecting to see because getting another fresh arm in the pen was pretty important. And Perdomo just hasn't quite looked right in his first few appearances with the Brewers. He's going to be back, and I think he's going to be a special reliever someday, but it doesn't always happen quickly.
1: No, I think I had counted. I think he threw about 80 or 85 pitches, and the number of strikes was about 45, and that's just not enough. He did get squeezed the other day, but still, he just wasn't finding the zone. I mean, the the results are the results. The funny thing about that, though, is that David Stern said this on Sunday and I also heard it from other people that he was throwing strikes in Appleton this wasn't and I know like and that's kind of a question of like, how do we judge performance at these training sites I mean that's another whole conversation I guess because Perdomo was a guy who by all accounts from what I heard was throwing strikes and that's why they brought him up they didn't br- bring him up because he had control issues I mean, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have went this route if it, if it was as clear as day as it was in his major league appearances so they kind of chalked that up a little bit to some jitters and that's understandable it's his first time doing this against major league hitters and all so i, I get it but they definitely can't afford that to happen too much with other guys i mean alex alex claudio had a uncharacteristically bad performance as well uh for this season and so they need more guys we've talked about this in the past but they have Williams they have Phelps they have Hayter who else do they have that they could really rely on in a big spot I mean we see we've seen Freddy Peralta pitch well in relief this year and that's one and against the Pirates in that final game of the series he was used on a, a bit of a shorter rest period so that may be indicative that maybe he'll get some more usage out of him uh, but still, after that, man, like, where do you go? I mean, Eric Yardley's been okay. Um, don't know what else to tell you there. <laughs> Maybe JP Fireyzen becomes a, becomes a guy because by by his minor league numbers, he he very well should be. I mean, he's he's very talented.
0: Yeah, I, I like Eisen. I, I think he could end up becoming part of that bridge to the ninth inning over time. So uh, I think this is a good situation to be in. They have good depth. They can afford to give Perdomo a few days back in Appleton to try and get right. Maybe bring him back at some point down the stretch. It wouldn't surprise me if he was throwing meaningful innings for this team before the end of the season, despite the fact that he was sent back over the weekend. We're going to get to the upcoming series against the Reds in Pirates in just a moment. First, our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 Personal Trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof, cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, a travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped box of briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. All right, Will, as I mentioned a little earlier, it's a big series for the Reds coming up at Miller Park as well. And we're talking about two teams that have underperformed expectations, both sitting at 11 and 15, so both in the exact same spot in the NL Central, 5.5 back of the Cubs, and we saw the Reds for a series a couple of weeks ago. The thing that concerns me for this matchup that the Brewers have is just that the Reds have great starting pitching, and when you have an offense that's struggling, facing great starting pitching for five, six, possibly seven innings is very problematic. It's tough to break out of an offensive slump with the Reds coming to town, so as you look at the pitching matchups for this series, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel for this Brewers' offense, maybe toward the end.
1: <laughs> maybe toward the end, right? Because it's
0: Bauer on Monday, it's Castillo on Tuesday, it's Gray on Wednesday, and then it's Wade Miley on Thursday.
1: Yeah, and Thursday, from what I understand, maybe subject to change as well. And perhaps that's a good move considering Wade Miley's numbers so far um from the little bit he's pitched. But yeah. And you could kind of say the same thing because, like you mentioned, with the Reds and the Brewers, they're, they're very similar. So you could kind of say the same thing with the Reds coming to Milwaukee. Like, hey, you know, I mean, the Brewers have, have had a good pitching staff that doesn't really bode well for their offense either, for a team that struggled to put up runs and, and to piece some hits together. But the difference is, is that the Reds' pitching has been better. So there you go. That, that gives you the advantage right there. I mean, if we're talking about two struggling offenses – Clearly, the Reds have the better staff right now, so it it doesn't really look great going into it. But I've liked what I've seen from Brett Anderson. He's doing; he seems to be doing his thing lately, getting ground balls, um, pitching effectively, low in the zone. So you know, maybe they could squeeze something out, and and maybe they can get to the Reds' bullpen. I think that that could be something there because these guys aren't. You would think that Bauer is not going to go set eight or nine. Maybe he could. Um, But I think if you get to the Reds' bullpen, that's really where you can make a difference because that's what happened to them last time they played, right? I mean, Lorenzen looked terrible and a couple of other guys struggled. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some light there. There's some optimism for, for the Brewers. They just they're just going up against you know good starting pitching again. And we saw that with the Twins just last week with Maeda and, and uh, Barrios, where those guys were just on fire. I mean, they, they were completely dominant in command and didn't really help that the Brewers haven't been able to piece together any hits offensively in the early innings.
0: Yeah, I just think that's a really tough string of matchups. I know the Brewers got to Sonny Gray a little bit last time they saw him before opening it up against that Cincinnati bullpen, but you see it all lined up and you say, this is gut check time. This is going to be that uh, that window where the Brewers either show us that they are going to hang around and, and be in the playoff race or they're going to be uh, in a position few of us expected where they're trading some pieces away at the deadline. Which I should say, like if the Brewers were to trade a couple of veteran players away at the deadline next week, I don't think that necessarily prevents them from making the playoffs in a scenario where eight NL teams are going to be in the postseason this year. So it's not like they have elite but expiring contracts of guys who are key pieces it would be more just opening up opportunities for some of those depth players that you talked about right so I wouldn't necessarily look at David Stearns trading away some players and not getting a lot of immediate help back as a sign that the season's completely over either
1: no that's a great point I mean and you could also make a trade where you know you you do acquire somebody who doesn't just help you for 2020 but also beyond where they have some uh, some team control and it just makes sense to make a move. Um, I mean, Brett Anderson comes to mind as a guy that maybe they are willing to move. Maybe they're just seeing like, okay, we we have Eric Lauer, who's not really doing anything for us right now. <laughs> maybe it's time to move him and back into the rotation or maybe uh, Freddie Peralta or whoever, um, because I feel like that's an area where they, they have the... Kind of, I don't want to say surplus because you never have quite a surplus of starting pitching, right? But you have an area that you could kind of pull from and trade from, and you could use that to help an area of weakness on your on your roster. That again, like you said, doesn't necessarily spell out, "Hey, we're selling here" or "We're throwing the white towel in on 2020." I mean, you could make a move that's beneficial for both teams. I just think that that's going to be kind of rare to see in some in some instances this year, where we may not see some of that. I think ideally. They make a move like they did with the Padres over the winter. I just don't foresee something like that happening, regardless of who the teams are, not just exclusive to the Brewers.
0: And there are just plenty of disappointing teams league-wide. I mean, the Red Sox are 9-20 and today. Like That's much worse than expected. The Angels, they go out and sign Anthony Rendon in free agency. They have a healthy Shohei Otani. They have uh, more talent around Mike Trout than ever before. They're 9-20 as play begins on Monday. Uh, mentioned the Reds before they had high expectations. so it's it's not it's not like the Brewers are alone in this spot. It's part of the quirk of the shortened season. Uh, it's part of things being very close on the margins league wide, I think right now. And I think that's gonna make the deadline really bizarre. Like this week's gonna shape the fate of a lot of teams, at least the direction of a lot of teams, even if it doesn't necessarily push mid mid pack teams completely out of contention. I think it's exactly what the Brewers are. They're a mid-pack team. They're good enough to get there, and I think that's all you really have to be to have a chance, but it's still hard to look at the Brewers as constructed with the offense being the way that it is and saying, "Yeah, they're going to be able to win a series against the Dodgers when it counts in October or they're going to win a series against a team like Atlanta when it counts in October." But look, they have not played their best baseball yet. I think that's very clear. Like no matter what you think of the players we talked about earlier, Those hitters who are underperforming, everyone expects them to be better than they've been so far. Whether they get back to previous career averages or closer to their peaks, sure, that's much more debatable. I think you'd expect more of the former than the latter in nearly all of those cases. But if Jelic heats up at the plate, if Huris starts to show some signs of taking that step forward, things could look very different just a week from now because that's just the way this season has been.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm glad you mentioned those other teams because it could be worse, right? <laughs> it, it could be worse. It could be the Angels. Uh, could all It could always be worse. Um, so by the time we have another episode, I'm looking at it, the deadline is like pretty much right there, right? Your, your gut, do, do they make a move? I mean, I just don't know if I see David Stearns sitting, standing pat here, uh, regardless, one way or the other. I feel like they may make a uh, – Not minimal. That's not the word I'm looking for. But just a move that doesn't get people a whole lot excited one way or the other. But I could see them doing something.
0: And that was basically what they did last deadline, acquiring Lyles from Pittsburgh and acquiring Pomeranz and Ray Black from the Giants, right? It, It didn't... If you were watching MLB Network that day, those weren't the trades that they were geeking out about on air. Like Those were just footnote trades that day. Yeah, so... I do expect them to be active. I do expect them to do something probably more like that, whether it's a slight nudge in the future direction or a slight nudge to bolster the roster for this year. That probably depends on how these next seven games go. But I would be very surprised if there's not any trade made by the Brewers between now and the trade deadline next week. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to get that subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash 422 to get 40% off. If you got questions you'd like us to answer on a future episode, please send those our way via Twitter. And if you're enjoying this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any platform that allows you to leave us a rating and review, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate it. For Wheel Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.